please open God's word with me to Mark chapter 3 this morning. As you're turning there to Mark 3, I'm going to ask you a question to consider. What do you think your actions in life say about your heart? What do you think your actions say about your heart's condition? I'm going to ask you that because of what I see in Mark 3. Here in Mark 3, we're going to see that the condition of our heart is made evident not only by the words we speak, but by the things we do. As I was thinking about this, it reminded me of a time in my life when I was able to express verbally what I really loved, yet my actions didn't always line up with the words that I spoke. When I was 16 years old, I wanted a car, like all 16-year-olds, right? And yet my dad had seen a pattern in my life where I had made commitments to things and had dropped the ball often. And I told him, I'll work for you all summer, Dad, if you'll just you know, let me use that money to buy this car. And he's like, yeah, I've seen you do this before. You show up for a couple of weeks, and then you want to go swimming or want to go someplace and do something else, and you're not back. So he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. If you really want this car, I'll make a deal with you. And I'm like, Dad, whatever it is, I'll do it. And it's my mouth speaking, and my life wasn't really lining up a lot of times with what I was saying. But this car was not just any car. This car was a 67 Camaro, all right? And this car was special, and he really didn't know how badly I wanted the car. But he did tell me, he said, okay, if you want this car, you can buy it if. If you will work for me all summer without asking for your wages until the end of the summer. I'm like, yes. And then I thought about it for a minute. Wait a minute. I'm not going to be paid the entire summer. And I think this was his plan. He didn't think I would go through with it, so he wouldn't have to allot for this. But he really didn't know how badly I wanted it. Because I talked about it and talked about it. But he was looking for actions that backed up what I was saying. And so at the end of the summer, or all through the summer, every week, my dad paid his laborers every week. He was a carpenter, and he, he built houses. And so the laborers got paid every week, and I'm watching each week as these guys, the cash is coming out, you know, and I'm going, oh, man, I'd just like to go ahead and get that now because there's this cool CD or tape or whatever it was at the time coming out that I'd like to have. And yet I said no in my heart. No, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to wait and keep my word. Let my actions show my dad that I can do this. I'm committed. And so finally, at the end of the summer, I made it. My dad did not think that was going to happen. I'm sure of that. But at the end of summer, in August, he came into the living room of our house, and he said, Randy, come here. He said, uh, here are your wages because you kept your word. You didn't ask. You didn't complain. And you've earned this wage. So let's go buy that car, which I was extremely happy about. I'd already found one, and I was looking for it and trying to figure out a way to, to get to the place to look at it. And he said, okay, let's go together, and we'll go buy that car today, which was just rejoicing, right, in my heart. Just this praise was coming out of my heart. Um, he really didn't think I could hold on and hold out until the end because, again, I had broken my commitments. I had said I could do these things, and I wanted these things, but I had never really followed through with actions. And now he saw actions 
that spoke louder than my words. And that's what that experience taught me. It taught me that oftentimes our actions do speak louder than our words. And that lesson is taught to us, I think, in Mark 3, 1 to 6, through the actions of Jesus and the actions of the Pharisees. So if you would, listen as I read this text to you this morning. It says, again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, that is the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved, grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and the hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. I'll never forget the first time I read this text to um, now my middle son, Haddon, when he was about six years old. And I remember reading this and coming to that last verse of verse 6, and he's like, what? He just helped a man, and they want to kill him? I said, yes, son, but there was much more going on than what you realized here. They're conspiring, and they're planning, and their counsel at the end gave evidence to what was really within them. Their actions spoke louder than their words. Oh, they looked pious. They come to Jesus with questions, and they're listening to Jesus in the synagogue, but all the while... They're plotting evil in their hearts. And their actions eventually expose the reality of what was inside them. Now here in this text, there's a lot of interesting things. And I'm going to give you some background um, to kind of get you into this. Because when you read all three of these narratives that we see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you get different chunks of information. So I'm going to fill in some blanks in a few moments. But first of all, here, here in these six verses we see the very heart of God being revealed to us through the Lord Jesus Christ's actions. Jesus' actions here reveal the heart of a tender creator. We see that at the beginning. His actions also reveal here the heart of a righteous judge exposing the heart of the Pharisees. We also see Jesus' actions here reveal the heart of a sovereign king, ruler over creation, ruler over all men. But that's not my outline for you this morning. You can write that down. That's fine. My outline is a little bit more, I think, penetrating. In verses 1 to 6, we don't just see the very heart of God revealed through Jesus' actions. We also see the very hard hearts of the self-exalting Pharisees revealed through their actions. Here we learn that hard hearts are revealed by their actions. Hard hearts are revealed by their, number one, calloused emotions, verses 1 and 2a. Hard hearts are also revealed by their, secondly, their manipulated interactions, 
Verse 2b, their deception. Thirdly, hard hearts are revealed by hate-filled reactions. Verses 4 to 6. This is a sign of a hard heart, a hard, withering heart. We have a man with a withered hand, but worse than that, we have men there with withered hearts in this setting. The hearts of the Pharisees were like the withered hand, the withered hand of this man in this narrative. Their hearts were shriveled up and dry and calloused and hard. And this is something that I think we need to be very careful to examine this morning even as Christians. And I realize the context is about unregenerate religious men. But as I read through this narrative, it made me ask a lot of serious questions of myself. Is my heart hard in any way? Is it withering in any way? Do my actions in my life reveal the restoring and compassionate heart of Christ? Do my actions reveal Jesus Or do they reveal this self-exalting action of the Pharisees here? Do my actions reveal the withering heart of these these Pharisees? Be honest with yourself. There are times now in your Christian life that you are not as sensitive, as concerned, as truthful, as responsive to Jesus and to others as you ought to be. Maybe as you were at the beginning. In time, you've grown cold. In time, you've been burned by people. So your heart gets a little bit calloused. You're guarding your heart, not giving it away. And I know this about myself. I know that I still have enough of my unredeemed flesh in me that I want to exalt myself from time to time, protect my personal interests, like the Pharisees were doing here. And I need to keep my heart in check. And there is no one better to keep our heart in check than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, right? I I want my actions to reflect his heart as his disciple. So I hope that this will help you examine your hearts this morning to see if you have a withering heart. Withering heart that needs maybe the hand of Christ again to restore it. The narrative here in in 3, in Mark 3, as I said, is also found in Matthew and Luke. And so let me let me do this. Let me let me put these in order. I'm going to summarize the three. I'm not going to give you cross references. I'm just going to read through this. And so you understand the flow of thought and the flow of the order of things from Matthew, Mark and Luke together. Okay, so here's how it goes. This narrative here in Mark 3 begins with Jesus entering a synagogue on a Sabbath day to teach. And in that congregation, he immediately gazes upon or fixes his eyes upon a man with a withered right hand. Luke tells us, the physician tells us, that it was his right hand. Making a lot of implications from that, we get this. It was probably the hand that he worked with at some point in time. It was not a diseased hand. It was probably an injured hand. And it was his right hand. It was important to him. But it wasn't life-threatening. It wasn't as if... He was dying because of this injury. It was an inconvenience. His livelihood was damaged by it, but he was not an emergency. Yet Jesus fixes his eyes on him as a tender creator. And in that same congregation, Jesus also 
has eyes fixed upon him by his opponents, the Pharisees and the scribes. Now, now understand this. As we read Mark, as you read the other accounts, you learn that they weren't there because they loved Jesus. They weren't there because he was a truth speaker. They weren't there to hear him preach because they loved God's word. They were there simply to test him so that they could find some way to charge him and put him to death. You remember last time in Mark 2? They wanted to charge him with breaking the Sabbath by partaking of the the grain in the field on that Sabbath day so they could immediately stone him to death. This is in their heart when they're in this synagogue on a Sabbath judging Jesus. But Jesus knows their hearts. He knows their intentions. And and in time, he will let them eventually reveal their intentions through their actions. And he lets them actually reveal some of their intentions, even through the words they speak. In one account, it says this. They ask Jesus this question. Is it right to heal on the Sabbath? Probably pointing at the guy who's there in the congregation. And so Jesus turns At this point in the narrative to the man, and he calls the man forward. That wasn't what they expected. Jesus actually returns the question that they asked him in a little more telling way. He actually asks them a question that expands and expounds upon the intent of the law of God. And he tells them, here's what I want you to tell me. You ask, is it right to heal on the Sabbath, looking at this hurt man? I'll ask you this. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? Knowing what was in their hearts, he asked them this question. Here is the reaction. They remain silent. This is not a good silence. This is a bad silence. This is a silence that angers Jesus. He looks at them in anger, and he is grieved over the hardness of their heart, these accounts tell us. And so he gives another illustration in Matthew's gospel about the value of a man's life being greater than that of a sheep that they would even rescue on a Sabbath. And then he answers the question they wouldn't answer by saying this, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then immediately, Jesus looks at that man standing before them, with this withered hand, and he says, let me show you all. Stretch out your hand. And Jesus completely restored that man's life and livelihood. Now, you would expect the opponents to be amazed by a miracle. Understand this, there had been no healer in history up to this point. No prophet was a healer. Yes, there were some people raised from the dead, but no one was a healer of the defiled and the diseased. But Jesus was. You would expect them to be rejoicing, but instead they're rebelling. They're furious. They're furious because Jesus just just devastated their authority publicly. They thought they had trapped him. In his divine wisdom, he brings the man forward and says, let's make a public spectacle of this. Let me show you how good it is to do good on the Sabbath. So these men react to his goodness and his grace and his compassion because he had also convicted them. So they react by storming out of the synagogue 
and then conspiring with their own arch enemies, the Herodians, who supported Herod, the half-Jew king who actually supported Rome and their occupation. They combined forces with these men to put Jesus to death because Jesus was a threat to both their kingdoms. That's what's going on in Mark when you read these passages. That's the fuller story, okay? I paraphrased that for you, but that's what it is. So let's look at each of these verses here. And as we do so, let's examine our own hearts as we look into the heart of the Pharisees this morning, because I fear that there's probably far more of the Pharisee in me than there is Christ in me at times. First off, we see in verses 1 and 2, that hard, withered hearts produce calloused emotions toward those who are broken and discouraged. Calloused emotions. It says again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath. They don't, they don't see the man with compassion They see him as a means to their own evil ends, to conspire against Jesus. There's a sick guy. Let's exploit him. They had calloused emotions. But as you read the accounts, Jesus doesn't walk past the man. He fixes his gaze upon the man. He focuses on the man. He set his affections upon the man. So the first sign of a withered heart in the Pharisees and in us, I think, is revealed here. Calloused emotions toward those who are broken. The Pharisees were esteeming their man-made traditions above a hurting individual. And listen, church, we can do the same thing today as Christians. We can esteem our rituals, our routines, our system of doing church on a Sunday morning and bypass a hurting individual amongst us. Let that never be the case. Let it never be that we have calloused emotions for those who come into the congregation. But Jesus doesn't bypass the man. Jesus doesn't esteem man-made traditions above hurting individuals. Jesus esteems God's heart for the hurting above their traditions. These men look right past that broken man's problem because they had self-righteousness in their heart and it had hardened them. But that was not the case with our Savior. He is a tender creator a compassionate creator. He had formed this man in his mother's womb. Think about this. He formed him, knit him together in his mother's womb, only now to display how great his creative power was by restoring this man once again through his tender affections. And so doing, reveal the heart of God through his actions. Now, Before I go further into this verse or into this text, we need to all stop and ask ourselves a question. We need to examine our hearts today. Do we have withering hearts, drying up hearts, hardening hearts? Here's a way to test it. Examine your compassion for the broken. Do your actions line up with your profession of faith? Your profession as a Christian. 
as a follower of Jesus, as a mathetes, a disciple, a learner of Jesus, do your actions line up with his actions, with his compassion? Do you react when you encounter broken people in your life with compassion or with callousness? I think we need to be very, very careful here because sometimes because we do get burned by people who are cons, people who want to manipulate, people who want to exploit the church, we become a little bit calloused about how we approach those who come in that may be broken. We're not sure of their motives. Listen, Jesus was willing to give his entire life for people who were risky. And he did so willingly because he had tender compassion. He had nothing to lose. They had everything to gain. So it should be with us as Christians. What are you going to lose if someone truly tries to exploit you as a Christian and you were able to share the gospel with them and care for them and show them mercy and love that reflects Jesus? Are you losing anything in that? Not at all. We need to be careful at times as Christians, especially theologically driven Christians, the study of God is primary in our hearts. That's great. But sometimes theological studies can blind us to the immediate needs of those around us. That happened with the disciples. It didn't just happen to the Pharisees. Look with me at John 9. John 9, verse 1. We are probably in more of the the vein of the disciples here than we are the pharisees i I pray but nonetheless these disciples here had a bit of a withered heart in this situation they looked past a man's broken condition trying to figure out a theological puzzle but not jesus it says as he passed by he saw a man blind from birth and his disciples asked him rabbi who sinned is the theological question it sounds very very, very uh, intelligent. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Salaam. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The disciples saw a theological puzzle because their hearts were withering. Jesus saw a broken person because his heart was full of tender compassion. Examine your emotions. In light of Christ's actions in Mark 3, 1 to 6. The blind man and the withered hand here of this man in Mark 3. I think show us how compassionate our creator really is toward his creatures. You would think that as the creator of all things, sustainer of all things, you know, he doesn't really get caught up in the, in the small issues in life. A little bit of a withered hand, a, a blind man, that's going to happen in a fallen world. But no, our creator, his compassion is personal. He cares about individuals, people, not just the creation in general. He cares about them specifically. And he acts on behalf 
of the broken. We need to remember that when we minister to others as well. We need to act on the behalf of those who can't act on their own strength. Now go back with me in Mark 3 and understand a little bit of the context here. As they're trying to uh, accuse him in verse 2, you have to understand this. There was no law in the word of God that restricted the healing of the sick on the Sabbath. You know why? No one but God could heal people on any day. Only God could do this. But what the Pharisees tried to do, they took some Old Testament laws and they tried to reinterpret them to set up new guards, new guides. And what they said was, we're not worrying about healing. They weren't thinking about healing like miraculously. What they were thinking about, they could catch Jesus healing the man by like putting medicine on his hand, caring for him. They weren't thinking about the miraculous at all. These are unregenerate, religious, self-exalting, self-righteous men. They were concerned that he was going to give them medicine. They were going to help him physically in some way, not miraculously. And their law said that no one could receive medical help on the Sabbath unless they had a life-threatening condition. They believed that obviously the man with the withered hand didn't qualify for that. So they realized that if Jesus tries to help this man, hold this man's hand, anoint it with oil, do something medicinal to it, he would be proven to be a Sabbath breaker. Well, they already knew the nature of Jesus was one of compassion. They expected him to go into action and do something about this man's condition, but they had no idea what he was actually going to do would bring them conviction. It would bring them even condemnation. They saw this broken man as a means to their evil ends, and it blinded their hard, calloused hearts to the reality of what was happening. It revealed how callous they really were by the way they looked at this man as a means to their end as well. But what they learned very quickly in this narrative is that their calloused reaction would eventually be exposed. Their calloused hearts would be revealed when the presence of Christ was there, when Jesus, the tender creator and the righteous judge of man, shows up, the hard-hearted among us will be exposed. Look at verse 2b, my second, second point here. In verse 2, the judge of man's thoughts and intentions reveal that hard, withered hearts produce Manipulated interactions, deceitful interaction, the kind of interactions that seek to destroy someone else's reputation to exalt oneself. That's what's happening. So you need to examine your interactions with others. Examine, are you manipulating people? in your personal interaction with them, to exalt yourself while tearing down their reputation? It's a sign of a withering heart. Think about this. Examine the nature of your personal interactions. Do you slander other people in order to exalt yourself at work, at home, with your friends? Or do your interactions with others... Line up with your profession as a Christian, as one who would rather see others exalted above yourself. That's what Philippians 2 talks about. 
The Lord Jesus considered others as more important than himself, and he gives us his heart so that we would be tender, so that we would reflect our creator. So ask yourself that. Are you reflecting in your actions with others the heart of Jesus? Verse 2 reveals that Jesus knew what was going on in their hearts. This manipulated activity, this manipulated interaction they're having with him, trying to look pious and religious and have this conversation in the synagogue with him. He knew the intentions in all their interactions with him. He knew what was in their heart. Verse 2 says they, they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Jesus knew this. He knew their manipulated interaction with him was deceitful. It was to destroy him and exalt themselves. He could see this. He is the one who knows the heart of all men. He is the righteous judge and the tender creator. Now, interestingly here, this manipulation that they thought was so clever only led to confirming Jesus' claim earlier in Mark 2 that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. The very giver of rest had came to man on earth. And so their, their attempt here at manipulation doesn't destroy Jesus' reputation at all. It actually helps confirm it and do so publicly in front of all in the synagogue, which is not what they planned for. Jesus knew this. He knew this evil intention in their heart. He knew that it's time for me to put them to shame, to expose them. And that's what he does next. And he does it by doing this, showing compassion to the broken. Again, he looks at the man and he calls the man this time forward so that everyone in that congregation could see what was about to happen. And that's really what happens here in verse 3. He says, and he says to the man with the withered hand, come here, understand something. When Jesus says, come here, that's, that's not a request. That's a command. Because his nature is that of a king. He calls him. And what's the man do? He comes. As it is when God calls you to salvation, you come. Jesus, after this man comes, Jesus asks his opponents a heart-exposing question. And his question brought with it divine correction and righteous judgment because it revealed, thirdly, that hardened hearts respond to divine compassion and correction with hate-filled reactions. See, a hard heart is, by very nature, insensitive. It cannot feel, it will not feel it will not see the compassion of christ and respond with rejoicing it will not hear the compassionate correction of jesus and respond with rejoicing and repentance because it's a dead cold static heart it can't do it until it's been given life by god himself all of our hearts were dead like that until christ gave us life he regenerated our hearts so that they would be like his be sensitive and responsive to correction. Unlike these hard-hearted Pharisees, they expressed hate-filled reactions. Look at the penetrating question there in 4a, the first half of 4. He says to them, 
says, and he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill? Now, the Pharisees knew that the purpose of, of God's Sabbath was to benefit man, was not to bring him harm. They knew that the Sabbath was a day of healing and rest for the body and the soul meant to restore our life. And even though they knew all this, because of their dead, stony hearts, they confessed truths they didn't possess. They confessed this biblical knowledge that they had all the time, yet they twisted it with their hypocrisy because their hearts were withered inside. So in verse 4, you see the tender compassion of the Creator, again now being fixed upon His opponents in this sense. He speaks to them about the word of God, the truth of God. He's giving them opportunity once again to repent, to believe upon him. And he shines the light of God's word on their darkened hearts and reveals what they thought was hidden in their heart. He he lets his words pierce their hard hearts, and it does. You can tell by their actions that it pierced them, but not to the point of repentance, but to the point of rebellion. Exposing what was down deep inside was dead and offensive to God. Jesus, as their judge and king here, sovereignly reveals their evil desires and Sabbath-keeping hypocrisy. Think about what's happening here. Just this, when I read this this week. I had read this passage numerous times in my life and recently in studying it, but I never got it. And all of a sudden, it was like the lights came on. Oh, my goodness. How could I have missed this? Here's what's happening. These opponents of Jesus, these Pharisees, these religious men, they're there in the synagogue on a Sabbath trying to accuse Jesus of breaking it because he's doing good and restoring a man's life and livelihood. But at the same exact time, his words penetrate what's in their heart and exposes it. At the very time that they're trying to accuse him, they're plotting harm and murder in their own hearts on the Sabbath. So his question is quite a question. When he says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm? To save life or kill? Oh, they know exactly what he is doing. Their hearts are being laid bare. They knew exactly what he was saying about them. Look how they reacted to this divine act of correction and compassion toward them. Verse 4b, they were silent. That's the sound of a dead heart. It is silent. His question should have brought them to repentance. But instead it revealed... They're truly rebellious and dead condition. They would not repent. They were silent. Verse 5a said that this both angered and grieved the judge of man's heart. Verse 5 says, he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. The Greek tense of this verb anger and the Greek tense for the word grieved here are two different tenses. His anger was for the moment. His grief was continuous. 
There was no reply. Do you see this? This is actually the compassionate act of Christ here. He is actually, again, just saying, look, I'm going to do this miracle. I'm showing you these signs. I am healing this man. I'm going to call him forth. I'm going to do all these things. You can repent. But on their own, they could never do that. And in their own hearts, they would not do that. They did not want to do that because in their own hearts, they were rebellious. Followers of their father, Satan. There was no reply from their hard hearts. Picture yourself in the synagogue when he's doing this. He asks them a question that penetrates their hearts. And then the room is silent. The silence was deafening. The atmosphere was tense. They should have been crying out, Oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner, for plotting your harm and your murder in my heart. But instead, because they are dead in their sins and their trespasses, like we all were, they remain silent, defiant of their righteous judge and their sovereign king. But then that silence is broken in 5b. It's broken by the king's command, his compassionate command to a broken man. He says to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. There is no argument here about the power and authority of Jesus. But those who are dead in their sins and trespasses will not see because they cannot see. They were more concerned about their own kingdom, their own reigning on earth, rather than his reigning in their hearts, that they refused. They refused these compassionate illustrations of his love and his mercy and his power and his sovereignty. Because of that, he judged them. Actually, their own actions judged them. Jesus' command, his sovereign command here, completely restored this man with a withered hand. And at the same time, it completely revealed the Pharisees' withered hearts. Here he is again offering an opportunity for them to rejoice over his compassion toward the broken and to repent over his correction because he is showing mercy to them. But instead they react to his correction and his compassion with hate-filled rebellion, according to verse 6a. The Pharisees went out. Could you picture that scene? The compassionate Jesus calling forth a broken man, healing him, confronting their sins to give them opportunity to repent and turn to him, and they remain silent, and it grieves his heart. He stares at them with a gaze that like no other man could gaze upon you with, and they know that he sees their hearts, yet they are obstinate. They are quiet, but in their hearts, they're fuming. They're plotting. Murder is reigning. And they storm out of the building in defiance of their sovereign king's compassion. You know, when, you, when I read these accounts, you think, 
How could they have been so blind, so hard, so cold, so dead? Saints, listen to this. Everyone in this room that is now a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ were just as dead and cold and hard as these men were and as self-righteous and self-exalting as they were. But God, who is rich in mercy, he graced you through the work of his son who gave life to the dead. Think about that for a moment. And if you're here this morning and your heart feels cold and dead to the correction of God, the word of God, let me just tell you there is hope for you like there is hope for this man with a withered hand. The restorer of the withered hand can restore the withered heart. We're all testimonies of that here this morning. But let's do this. Let's examine our own hearts again. Let's examine our reaction to biblical correction like Jesus gives to these Pharisees. Do your actions speak as loudly as the word that you profess to love? What I mean is, how do you react to biblical correction? Do you act like the Pharisees? Do you storm out? Do you refuse to submit? Do you ignore it? Do you have a withered heart? Or do you react with repentance and joy at God's discipline of you? Because it means that you're his son, that he loves you. Or are you rebellious, refusing to take the, the, the wounds, wounds of a friend who comes to you and says, Brother, sister, you are in sin It's going to destroy you and it's going to bring reproach on Christ. Will you rejoice over that or will you be defiant? Will you rebel against that? It's a good way to see if your heart is withering. How do you respond to biblical correction? Do you respond like a child of your father? Even though it hurts for the moment to be disciplined, ask any of our kids when we do that. But as they grow up, Their lives are much more prepared for this world because they've been disciplined and it shows them how much we loved them when they were little. Do you rejoice over the father disciplining you? And and do your actions then speak volumes about his love and his word that you love? Or do your actions speak volumes about your rebellion against his correction? Is your heart withering or is it being restored by God's discipline? Now, verse 6, the Pharisees' reaction spoke volumes about their hatred of God's discipline. Mark writes that they went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him, how to murder him. Their hate-filled actions revealed their heart. It spoke volumes about what was inside of them. They had, again, the heart of their father, Satan. And it was reflected by their destructive nature. It was reflected by their plotting and their scheming in response to Jesus' mercy. And grace that they had experienced in that congregation. Let me leave you something to think about here from 1 John when it comes to reflecting our Father. 
to see whether our hearts are withered, withering, or being tenderized. Look at me at First John chapter 3. Your actions will reveal your heart as a Christian. And if you are a Christian, your heart will reveal the will of your Father. Verse 2, chapter 3 in First John, it says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. Meaning that the life-dominating, habitual, unrepentant attitude of your heart is no longer what it was when you were regenerated. Now you have the heart of Christ and you love purity. You love the things that he loves. Verse 6 says, Now, it says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice, this is your actions, of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. It's not the pattern of your life. Maybe the mistakes that you face in life. It's not the pattern. You have a new direction you want to go. Because of this. God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Church, if you are a child of God, saved by God the Son, your actions will testify to it. You may be someone who was raised in church and has all the right jargon, can say all the right things, but your life's actions will reveal what you really mean. People will know you by your fruit. It doesn't mean that we are perfect, but it does mean that we have a pursuit. It means we're pursuing the glory of God by reflecting his son to the world. That is our longing, our desire as Christians. And listen, if if the heart of Christ beats in you, so will his compassion. And so will the, the correction that comes to you be a blessing. It'll be something that you rejoice in. Because it's a reaction of a regenerated heart to hear the voice of our Father and respond with thanksgiving for His discipline. But if that's not happening, if you don't see that pattern in your life, examine your heart to see if it is dead. Or to see if God is giving you opportunity today to have it renewed, to have it restored to life. Is your heart withering? That's the question today. If you feel as a Christian that your heart is withering, let me give you the good news. 
Jesus can restore it. Look to Jesus. He can restore a withering heart just like he restored that withering hand. Completely. He can make it tender again. Because Jesus is a tender savior of sinners. He is a righteous, righteous corrector of his children. And he is a sovereign restorer of his blood-bought people. He can restore tenderness back to your heart. He can give you that heart of flesh that he gave you at your new birth and make it fresh again as you go to him and ask him to tenderize your heart and to make it more like his heart. Let's pray that we'll do that today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the mercies that you've shown us through the biblical correction we receive from your word, through the tender compassion that the Lord Jesus Christ has extended to us at saving us by your word. God, we thank you for your your spirit that now convicts us, brings a righteous judgment against our sins, and causes us to rejoice in your discipline. We thank you for that. But Father, if there are any people, I don't care what age, old or young, and they do not have a tender heart, the heart of Christ. And they feel conviction and they feel judgment and they feel at the same time your compassion coming to them today. God, I pray that you would grant them faith and repentance to follow Christ, to turn away from their sins and to turn to the Savior, to trust in his atoning work in their place, dying their death, rising victorious for their sake and granting his righteousness to them by your favor, by your free grace. Lord, I pray that you would grant that to them today so that they would be saved and Christ would be glorified. I pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen.